Thank you so much for joining us for today's podcast. We'll get started in just a moment. If this is your first time here, please consider subscribing so that you may stay up to date with the latest podcast. And if our podcast brings value to your life, please consider sharing it with family and friends. Thanks for listening. And now here's today's podcast. Thanks for joining us for the Covenant Living Broadcast with Pastor John Butler of Covenant Life Church, located at 130 Atlantic Avenue in Bremen, Georgia. Psalm 122. Grab your Bibles. Turn with me to Psalm, the 122nd Psalm. Psalm 122. We're going to read verses 6 through 9 today. Verse 6 says, pray for peace in Jerusalem. May all who love this city prosper. Verse 7 says, O Jerusalem, may there be peace within your walls and prosperity in your palaces. For the sake of my family and friends, I will say, may you have peace. For the sake of the house of the Lord our God, I will seek what is best for you, O Jerusalem. Would you bow your heads with me, Father? We thank you for your word today. We thank you for the chance to uh, explore it, to hear what you're saying to us today. God, I pray that you would, um, that your truth would supersede anything that we've believed, that your light will expose every dark place, that your truth would expose every lie that we might have heard or might have believed. And I pray, God, that you would set us free by your word today. Lord, give us the faith and the courage to believe it and to carry it out. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, last week we started a brand new series called November, K-N-O-W-Vember. And we're taking this month and maybe maybe a a little bit more uh, and exploring some topics and subjects that are on people's minds. Um, Today and next week, uh, we're going to be exploring the subject of Israel. I've had a lot of questions about the subject in the last few weeks, um, and I feel like it's important to explore it biblically. Um, I, I want to discuss the current war that they're in with, with Hamas and probably very soon Hezbollah as well. Uh, and next week, I want to talk about uh, other things that I get a lot of questions about, and that is end-time prophecies, future prophetic events, including the rapture of the church, the Great Tribulation, the 144,000, the Battle of Armageddon, and I've gotten lots and lots of uh, questions about Ezekiel 38 and 39 uh, and the battle with Gog in Magog. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, then just come back next week, okay? So I want to hit all those. That's, that's sort of a, a hodgepodge today and next week, kind of a hodgepodge of several questions that have been asked uh, around this, this uh, November series, okay? So today uh, we're talking about Israel. Uh, the nation of Israel, if you are not really geographically uh, inclined, the nation of Israel, and I put a, we're going to put a map up, is a narrow strip of land at the eastern side of the Mediterranean Sea. It's smaller than the state of Massachusetts, but it's arguably the most fought over strip of land in the world. Um, it became a nation again in 1948, and within weeks of its inception, it was attacked. Uh, they are surrounded. We're going to show you another image. They're surrounded. So there's Lebanon at the, at the north, and there's Syria northeast. There's Jordan. There's Egypt. They are surrounded by enemies. 
Every nation that borders Israel has attacked it at one point or another, and most of them multiple times. Many of the nations that surround it today are heavily influenced by or controlled by radical Islamic terrorist organizations like Hezbollah or Hamas, both of whom receive their funding from Iran, from Turkey, probably from Russia, from bogus Islamic charities, and other criminal and terrorist enterprises. That's not a political statement. This is stuff, these are just facts, okay? The attack on Hamas, or from Hamas, um, in, in the Gaza Strip or around the Gaza Strip uh, on October 7th of this year was Israel's holiest day. It was Yom Kippur, the day of atonement for them. Uh, in that one attack uh, around October 7th, 1,400 people were killed. Many, many more were wounded. Um, if you scaled that according to the population of the United States, that would be like us losing 46,000 people in a day, because there's only 10 million people in Israel. Um, That's 15 times as deadly as 9-11. And the attack was much more personal and much more brutal. Yes, there were missiles fired from the Gaza Strip into Israel, but that happens almost every day. What has ripped the hearts out of the people of Israel, what has terrified children in in the nation of Israel is the senseless brutal crimes that were perpetrated against innocent children, against women, against old people. Please understand this was not just a military action. The people that were attacked held no strategic advantage. They knew no state secrets. Hamas forced their way into private homes. They brutalized wives in front of their husbands. They brutalized children in front of their parents. They tortured people of all ages just for sport. They randomly and viciously slaughtered people in the streets. Among the over 200 hostages that they took was a nine-month-old baby and a pregnant woman who has just this week given birth to her child in captivity. These Hamas criminals wore body cameras. He's like, John, how do you know what they did? They wore body cams so they could record all of the events that they were planning to do so that they could use it, use that level of violence and brutality as a recruiting tool to get more people to support their cause. This was not just a military attack. This was a homicidal, genocidal, sociopathic, demonic attack against the people of Israel. There is a level of deception Um, that's going in this world, a level of hatred surrounding this attack that can only be attributed to the same spirit that inspired the Holocaust. There is a demonic spirit of anti-Semitism, which is hatred against the Jews, that's coming to light all over the world. On college campuses all over our country, um, in in hate groups, in demonstrations on the streets, uh, on social media outlets, news agencies around the world, are downplaying the severity of the attacks or just downright denying that they took place at all, saying that the Israeli government staged it as a, as a means to invade the, the, the Gaza Strip. Israeli government spokespersons had to hold a screening for members of the media um, to show them the raw and unedited body cam videos so that they would, uh, they would believe that it happened. 
and what the journalists shared on social media about the effect of seeing that body cam footage um, was frightening. They said they have been traumatized by watching what happened, and rightfully so. There are churches and church leaders uh, around the country and even in our area who are publicly standing with the Palestinians and in opposition to Israel and to the Jewish people. I don't understand their position and I don't know how they can support it biblically. Today's message is called, We Stand with Israel. We Stand with Israel. Uh, If that excites you, then I'm going to give you some uh, biblical reasons to support your stand. If that offends you or if it makes you nervous, then I just want you to take a deep breath and, uh, and stay with me. Keep an open mind. I'm going to give you some things to think about that I hope will change your mind. Okay, there's a lot to talk about, so we're just going to dive in. Let me, let me lay some groundwork for our discussion today. Christianity is not a form of government. It isn't a political persuasion. No political party can lay claim to, to, the, to the word. No political party can lay claim to Christianity because it answers to a higher authority than the voters. A higher authority than the donors to the political parties. A higher authority than the politicians who are elected to even the highest of, of offices in the nation. If you are a surrendered follower of Jesus, then your allegiance must lie first and foremost with Jesus Christ. You are not an American Christian. You are a Christian. You are not a Republican or a Democratic Christian. You're just a Christian. You are not a white Christian or a black Christian or Hispanic or Asian or African or European Christian. You're just a Christian, period. All right? You're not a Southern Christian. You're not a Midwestern Christian. You're a Christian. Christian is not a cultural identity, it's not a racial identity, it's not a regional identity, it supersedes every other label and identifier. There will be believers in heaven from every tribe and tongue, every creed and color and nationality. There is no room in the body of Christ for prejudice, for hatred, for racism of any kind. There's no room for politics, for clubs, or divisions. The call of God is to whomsoever will. The call of God is to love everybody and preach the gospel to everybody. Can somebody say amen to that? I'm going to keep going. True followers of Jesus don't use scripture to excuse or justify their behavior. True followers of Jesus don't twist scripture or reinterpret scripture or pick and choose which ones they like and which ones they don't like. A true follower of Jesus holds this scripture in highest regard and it's the foundation of their life and their beliefs. When it's rightly divided and rightly understood, scripture lays out a road map for our faith and for our everyday interactions with other people. It shows us what to believe and how to apply it. In the gray areas, there is room for diversity of thinking. But many things in Scripture are crystal clear. And it's upon those crystal clear teachings of Scripture that we must build our lives. Those teachings are the bedrock of our beliefs and the side rails 
for our opinions. We get to follow our opinions and our understandings only as far as the word of God will let us. But when God speaks, the discussion is over. Your opinion, valuable as it is, does not rise to the level of inspired truth. God gets the last word. We submit ourselves under the heavy weight of the clear word of God. All right? You all understand what I'm saying today? God has to take the highest place in our lives. What he says goes. And it's more important than any other way that we identify ourselves. It is the clarifying lens through which we see everything else in the world. So let me use that lens today to clarify a few things. They, they may seem obvious, but there are, these are relevant to the conversation today. Y'all, y'all, y'all buckle up. First of all, Jesus was not white. Everybody okay? Jesus wasn't white. He was a Middle Eastern Jew who spent a lot of time outside, so he was relatively dark-skinned. Unless you consider Italians to be white, and in my research I've found there's lots of debate about that, Jesus probably never laid eyes on a Caucasian person the whole time he was on the earth. I don't know how we're going to break it to the clan. Um, and, to the, and to the other so-called Christian white supremacist, but Jesus wasn't white. And in case you're wondering, you can't be a hate group and a Christian at the same time. It's, it's a contradiction in terms. That's just, that, that ain't a thing, okay? It's not a thing. And you can't hang your hat on racial superiority no matter what race you are because we all trace our ancestry back to Adam and Eve through Noah, all right? So look at the person to your left and to your right and just say, what's up, cuz? Right? We all cousins, okay? Everybody all right? Here is uh, another shocking truth. Another shocking truth, if you can handle it. Jesus was not an American. <laughs> Some of y'all are more shocked at that than he was. He wasn't white. He was not an American, y'all. There was no America when Jesus walked the earth. The, the Bible's not an American book. It wasn't written in English. Not even the king's English. Nobody on earth even spoke English when Jesus was walking the earth. They didn't speak English in England when Jesus was on the earth. Okay? The Bible wasn't written with American Christians in mind. The Bible is a Jewish book written mostly by Jewish people, mostly about Jewish people. Almost everything that happened in the Bible happened in and around Israel. And all the prophecies, and we'll talk about those next week, but all the prophecies that are yet to unfold are centered around Jerusalem and the Jewish people. You can't say, well, I, don't, I just want to hear about Jesus in the Bible. I don't care nothing about Israel. I don't care nothing about the Jews. You can't separate the Bible from the nation of Israel and the Jewish people. You just can't. You can't understand one without the other. And if you've got any little piece of your mind still left unblown, let me go ahead and get that little piece too. Just kind of hanging on for dear life anyway. 
Jesus wasn't a Christian. He was the Christ. Okay? He wasn't a Christian. He was the anointed one. He was Yeshua HaMashiach, Jesus the Messiah in the Hebrew language. Okay? He wasn't just Jewish. He was the perfect Jew. Never sinned. Followed, fulfilled the law of God to the letter. Never disobeyed God in any area. Jesus said his purpose was not to destroy the Jewish faith or the law, but to fulfill it. Okay? He, he completed the old covenant by being the perfect sacrifice for sin once and for all. He did it so that he could establish the new covenant. Y'all ever taken communion? Remember when we read the thing, he says, I'm establishing a new covenant in my broken body and in my blood. A covenant not of law, but of grace. Okay? Now let's look at this in Galatians chapter 3. Now, John, that's, that's cool, okay, whatever, but I don't, still don't know what, what this has to do with Israel and what this has to do with us. Verse 6, Galatians chapter 3 says, In the same way Abraham believed God and God counted him as righteous because of his faith. The real children of Abraham, then, are those who put their faith in God. Anybody put their faith in God in you? What's more, the scriptures looked forward to this time when God would declare the Gentiles to be righteous because of their faith. If you are not Jewish, you are a Gentile. God proclaimed this good news to Abraham long ago when he said all nations will be blessed through you. So all who put their faith in Christ share the same blessing Abraham received because of his faith. Okay? Look at Romans chapter 11, verse 17. But some of these branches from Abraham's tree, some of the people of Israel, have been broken off. And you Gentiles who were branches from a wild olive tree, y'all like, that explains so much in my family, <laughs> right? I knew them people was wild, um, that you've now been grafted in. So now you also receive the blessing that God has promised Abraham and his children, sharing in the rich nourishment from the root of God's special olive tree. Because Jesus fulfilled and completed the law of Moses, we are now connected to Israel not through Moses, but through Abraham and through the covenant promises that God made to him. We are connected because we're justified by faith and not by the law, just like Abraham was. We are connected because Jesus is a priest after the order of Melchizedek, who was the only priest Abraham had ever known. So as part of the family of God, we are spiritually connected to Israel. Say, so, so John, what does that mean? Does that mean we're all Jewish now? No, that's not how that works. Jesus didn't die to make you Jewish. He died to make you free from the law of sin and death, all right? He died to save you from your sin and from yourself and to restore your relationship with the Father. He completed the law. So we have no need to go and put ourselves back under the law. Read the book of Galatians. That's what the whole thing's about. Read Romans chapters 9 through 11. Read the decision of the Jewish council in, in, in Acts chapter 15. Gentiles don't suddenly become Jewish when we get saved, but we are now all part of the same family, grafted in, adopted into the family of God. What is crystal clear from Scripture? And I'm just scratching the surface of it, y'all. 
beginning in Genesis, <clears throat> reaching all the way through the ultimate conclusion in Revelation, is that the Jews are God's chosen people. And this land on the eastern coast of the Mediterranean belongs to them. Let me show it to you in Scripture. Genesis chapter 12. <clears throat> the Lord said to Abraham, leave your native country, your relatives, your father's family, and go to the land that I'm going to show you. And I will make you into a great nation. And I'll bless you and make you famous. And you'll be a blessing to others. And I'll bless those who bless you Listen to this. I'll bless those who bless you. I'll curse those who treat you with contempt or curse you. All the families on earth will be blessed through you. Look at verse 7. Then the Lord appeared to Abram again and said, I will give this land to your descendants. And Abram built an altar there and dedicated it to the Lord who had appeared to him. Look at Leviticus 25. Leviticus 25, verse 23. Uh, God said, the land must never be sold on a permanent basis, for the land belongs to me. The land belongs to me. You are only foreigners and tenant farmers working for me. God said, these children of Abraham are my people. And this land of Israel is my land, and it will belong to my people forever. The land laid out for Israel by God himself is actually much larger than the land area that Israel occupies right now. Uh, it was given to them as an eternal inheritance, and they began to occupy that land 3,500 years ago. 3,500 years ago. Let me show it to you in Scripture, Genesis 15. In verse 18, so the Lord made a covenant with Abram and, and that day and said, I've given this land to your descendants. Listen, all the way from the border of Egypt to the great Euphrates River. This sets the boundary from the Nile to the Euphrates, from Egypt to what's now Iraq and Iran. That's way more land than the little strip that Israel currently occupies. Verse 17, verses, uh, chapter 17, verses 7 through 8. I will confirm my covenant with you and your descendants after you from generation to generation. This is an everlasting covenant. I will always be your God and the God of your descendants after you. And I will give the entire land of Canaan where you now live as a foreigner to you and your descendants. And it will be their possession forever and I will be their God. The promise of this land and the Abrahamic covenant is reiterated here as perpetual. God owns the land. He leased it to the Jews. And the lease is never going to run out. There's no mention of Canaanites or Philistines or Palestinians anywhere as having claim to the land. You say, well, I, just, I don't see what's so special about the Jews. They're just another people group. I just don't see what's, so, what's the big deal about Israel. It's just another country fighting over land. Let me help you understand something. You cannot look at this with a worldly mindset. It will never make sense to you. You can't look at this with a sociological uh, or a geopolitical mindset. You have to look at it first with a biblical and a spiritual mindset. Why? Because you're a Christian. God didn't see something special in Abraham and choose him. 
Abraham was not morally or ethically or racially superior to his contemporaries. It was God choosing him that made him special. Israel wasn't chosen because they were different. They are different because they were chosen. And guess what? There's nothing special about us either. But God chose us. He called us. He rescued us. He transformed us out of darkness and into his marvelous light. It's just what God does. It's who he is. He doesn't just look at the outside. He looks at the heart. He doesn't just look at who you are. He looks at who you can be with his power inside of you. He chooses who he wants to choose. God said in Hosea, and then first, in 1 Peter, he, he quoted it. God said, you weren't a people. You weren't even a people. I made you a people. Abraham was a Middle Eastern Gentile living in what is today called Iraq. And God chose him and called him and raised up a nation through him, appointed him to be the father of a great nation. I know it's hard to wrap our American brains around it, but Israel is God's chosen people simply because he chose these people. They have a right to this promised land simply because he promised them the land. And if God's not good for his word in the nation of Israel, what makes you think you're saved? Maybe God changed his mind. It's that important. The creator of heaven and earth gave it to them as an inheritance forever. And for the follower of Jesus, for the people who've been grafted into the olive tree, for the people who've been adopted into the family of God with Israel, then that's the end of the sentence. We must stand with Israel. I was asked recently, but what makes this different? What makes the situation different? There there have been many wars and atrocities and injustices all over the world for all of human history. We got plenty of stuff to to figure out in our own country. This is not even the, the only war in the world right now. So why are we talking about it in church? Why is the church, why, does we have, why do we have an opinion about this one and not the others? Because there's no other people in the world about whom God has said, these are my people. No other land in the world about which God has said, this land belongs to me and I've set it aside for my people. No other place that God has said we should pray that peace reigns in the walls of that city. No other city that Jesus stood and wept over, wishing that they had accepted him as their Lord and Savior and Messiah. No other country in the world that Jesus is going to come back again and set his feet on. Did Jesus die for the Palestinians? Yes. Did did he die for the whole sins of the world? Yes. Should we pray for all people to be saved? Yes. I pray that those in harm's way are safe. I pray that all these Islamic jihadists have a vision of Jesus that's a life-changing encounter. They lay down their weapons and repent of their sins. But Israel and the Jewish people and the Jewish nation are just different because God made them different. You say, John, there's a solution on the table. If they just divide that place into two states, they could live peacefully together. 
this two-state solution might make sense politically. You can't solve a spiritual problem with a political solution. They hate each other on a spiritual level. This is an Isaac and Ishmael problem. This is a Jacob and Esau problem. They will not peacefully coexist in a two-state solution because they don't recognize the right of Israel to even exist and occupy this territory or any territory for that matter. You say, but John, it's really, it's just bad for the innocents. It's bad for those who are caught in the crossfire. And listen, there's a genuine humanitarian crisis going on there. You're right. Absolutely. It's a mess. We should pray for the innocents who are caught in the crossfire. We, we should pray. There are Palestinian Christians. I went to, in 2007, I got a chance to go to Israel. And we went into Bethlehem, which is under Palestinian control. It's under the Palestinian Authority. So we had to get on a different bus with a different tour guide that, that was approved by the Palestinian Authority. We went into, into Bethlehem, and we saw the sites, and we stopped for souvenirs at a bookstore that was operate a Christian bookstore operated by a Palestinian Christian. And those folks, the Palestinian Christians, are being beheaded in the streets. They're being targeted, not just for persecution, for execution. We need to pray for our brothers and sisters who are in Palestine. And, and listen, I'm not endorsing every decision that's made by every person affiliated with the government of Israel. And I'm not asking you to. I'm simply saying, this is family. Do y'all like everything y'all's family does? Don't lie in church. I don't even like all the things I do sometimes, much less somebody else. I'm just saying this is family. And when the chips are down, you stand up for your family. Israel's family. You say, John, if they're, if they're God's chosen people, does this mean all the Jews are saved and they're going to go to heaven? No. No. Throughout Scripture, Israel has shown themselves to be a rebellious and stiff-necked people. Well, kind of like us. And like everybody else in the world, they're saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ and the shed blood on the cross. Currently, there are 35, in a nation of 10 million people, there are 35,000 Christians, Jesus followers. They don't really like to say Christian. In Israel, they think of Catholic and they think of the Crusades and that's not, that's not a good thing for them. So you're, they're Jesus followers. They're disciples of Jesus. Um, there's only 35,000 Christians in uh, Israel. And this crisis has, has given the church of Jesus in Israel an open door to serve people and to love people and to, and to share the gospel and, and to live the gospel, to be the gospel for them. And we pray that many, many are saved as a result of that. But in Matthew 25, Jesus says he will judge the nations based on how they treated his brothers and sisters, the Jews. The apostle Paul said in Romans, I think it was 11, that he would give up his own eternal life with Christ if the Jewish people would accept Jesus and be saved. There's a connection to these people and to this land that supersedes any political ideology that you might subscribe to. 
So I don't care what Biden says. I don't care what Trump says. I don't care what Obama says. I don't care what anybody else on the radio or TV or politics says. It doesn't matter what America does or what the rest of the nations of the world do. We are followers of Jesus before we're anything else. A spiritual imperative is rarely politically expedient. It's probably not going to win you any friends. It might cost us something. But there is a clear mandate of Scripture that believers love and respect and pray for and support the people in the land of Israel. And that's what we're going to do. I have um, a prayer agenda. Corey, wherever you are. Lord, Corey's lost that much weight, I can't even see him. Where in the world? Turned sideways, couldn't even find him. Um, I have a prayer agenda, and we're going to put this on the, uh, on the website so you can always have access to it. Um, and, and we've got about 100 copies at each of the exits. And there's going to be somebody standing there to help you find those and get those in your hand. Um, but it's a prayer agenda that I would, I would like for you to, um, to pray for, pray over, pray through every day, every week, whenever, whenever it seems right to you and the Holy Spirit to do that. Um, we need to pray. Standing in prayer is the first and foremost uh, important thing that we do, that we take a stand because this war is being fought in the heavenlies first. This is a spiritual conflict and it's being determined in the heavenlies. It's a spiritual and physical battle, and they need our prayers. But I think it's also important to support them in other ways as well. So um, starting this month, the church is, gonna, is going to support an organization in Israel that is spreading the gospel of Jesus and helping to alleviate suffering from the war. So we're going to do that as a church. So a portion of every dollar that you, that you give will go to support this, uh, this organization in Israel. But if you would like to earmark an offering, if the Lord's just put it on your heart and you just want to earmark an offering for this organization, you can do that. So you can do that in Secure Give. You can do it on your giving envelopes. None of this money staying in the church where every dime that you, that you give in, the, in this organization's name, we're going to make sure that we send to it. We'll add it to whatever we've designated as a church. Okay, So this is not helping the church. This is helping our brothers and sisters in Christ in Israel. Okay, um, we're going to put up banners around the property. We've got them printed. They're in the they're in the room right now. We didn't get them printed fast enough to be able to get them home, um, but we're going to hang them around the property this week because we need to take a public stand. It's a public stand. We're we're changing our our cover photo on Facebook to reflect the same graphic. I've been invited to, to be a part of an interdenominational group of pastors and ministry leaders in West Georgia who are committed to praying for Israel, standing with Israel, and doing what we can to combat anti-Semitism. We have to pray. We have to stand up. We have to speak up. I can't, I can't do anything about what anybody else does. But I am accountable to God for what comes out of this pulpit and for how I lead this church. And that is, that is a reality that I live with every day. And it's never far from my mind. It is my sincere conviction. And one that is unanimously agreed upon by the elders of this church. And one that I hope you can understand and agree with as well. But, I, but I, it is my conviction that we 
must stand with Israel. Whether it's popular in the city or not, whether it costs us some people or not, whether we get angry comments on our social media or not, whether they vandalize our banners as they did one church in Gainesville, Georgia already a couple weeks ago, whether they criticize us online, we will pray for all the nations of the world as is our biblical mandate. But this pastor and this house is going to stand for Israel. Listen, if you would, just stand to your feet or remain standing, whichever one. And you standing does not mean that you're standing in support of everything that I've said. I want you to make up your own mind, okay? This, we, this ain't a cult, okay? I'm not telling you what you have to believe. I'm simply trying to lay out what the Word says, and then that's between you and the Lord, okay? But this is a time that we're going to pray, and yes, we are going to pray for Israel as a church but I want to give you the chance to also respond to anything else that might be going on in your life. This altar is never closed, so you can come and pray about anything. And, and Corey's going to sing a song, and then and we'll be dismissed together in, in just a few minutes. We're going to pray for Miss Jeannie, and I'll tell you about that in just a second as well. But if there's anything going on in your life that you'd like to pray uh, about, then please come, and we'll be happy to pray with you about it. We're going to pray for Miss Jeannie, and we're going to pray for Israel before we go. Okay? Let's pray. Father, thank you for the chance to get into your word today and I thank you for the the unity that I sense in this house I thank you for uh, even for those who are honestly struggling with the issue and are trying to figure out where to put their feet God I believe that your Holy Spirit is going to lead and guide people to your truth and I pray Lord that you give them the courage to stand when you show them where the rock is I pray that you give them the courage to stand on it Lord, I pray that you draw every person to this place, to this altar right now, who has a need in their lives. And Lord, every person you want to meet in this place, I pray that you draw them right now. As we lift up our needs, I pray, Lord, that you would hear us from heaven. As we humble ourselves, as we repent of our sins, God, would you hear us from heaven and and send the answer. In the name of Jesus, we We pray that you have been blessed and inspired by today's Covenant Living broadcast. To find out more information about our ministry, just visit our website at www.covenantlifewestga.org. You can find this video there on our homepage. Just click the YouTube button and make sure you subscribe to our YouTube channel. Give us a call at 770-537-3747. That's 770-537-3747. At Covenant Life, our mission is to go and make disciples by being real, relational, and reaching. Be sure to join us next week for more Covenant Living with Pastor John Butler.